For the last few weeks, we've been talking about what happens to a person when they really see Jesus. Now, I'm not talking about people's perception of Jesus. I'm not talking about um, what other people have said about Jesus or other people's opinion about Jesus. But I'm talking about the real Jesus. What happens when someone sees the real Jesus. We've made this statement the last two weeks. I just want to make again today. The better we see Jesus, the better we see ourselves. The better we see ourselves, the more we see our need for Jesus. So when you get a clearer picture of Jesus, what happens at the same time is you get a clearer picture of yourself. And when you get a clearer picture of yourself, you come to one bold, huge conclusion. You need Jesus more than you think you do. I need Jesus more than I think I do. So uh, this, this um, seeing of Jesus is absolutely critical to our faith and our life. The first week we talked about what happens when seekers see Jesus. And then last week we talked about what happens when hopeless people see Jesus. Today we want to talk about what happens when desperate uh, people see Jesus. Can, can you remember a time in your life... Um, that you were desperate for something. I think probably most of us have had the experience of traveling down the interstate and having to go to the bathroom really bad. You can't find an exit, right? Have you ever had that, right? That, that's a moment of desperation, isn't it? Like, you know, like your ears are going to pop off and the mile markers go by and by and you go, how long can this road go before there's a place to stop and use the bathroom? How many of you have ever had the experience of losing your car keys when you're in a hurry to leave. You're running late. Come on. Come on, confess, confess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't that frustrating? It's desperate. And then people give you the dumbest advice. Well, where's the last place you've seen them? Well, if I knew that, I'd go get them. I mean, where's the last place you've seen them? I don't know. I lost them. Did you miss the story? Can't find them. How many of you have ever left the house in a hurry with mismatched socks or shoes? Yeah? Isn't that terrible? Like you get there and you go, oh no. You know, hopefully we'll be sitting down all day. I can tuck my feet up under something. Uh, this is something that uh, hopefully happens uh, just to ladies. But how many of you ladies have ever been looking for your purse and it's on your arm? Right? Or, or if you wear glasses, you've been looking for glasses and they're on your head. And somebody, somebody goes, hey, uh. Or worse than that, hey, uh. You're looking through them. Oh, I thought I could see well. I don't know what happened. When Stacy and I had only been married for a few years, uh, she calls me one day, and this is what I hear on the phone. Hey, I'm, I was taking a shower, and I got shampoo in my hair, and the water turned off. What do you think happened? I don't know. Like, I'm at work. I don't know. And I said, you know, I don't know, but I was thinking those evil people down at the city have done something awful. So I hung up, and I called the city, and they informed me I forgot to pay my bill. <laughs> and I had to hang up and call her back and say, hey, can I tell you the honeymoon ended that day. It was over. What do you expect me to do? I have all this shampoo. I don't know. How many of you know that other people's desperation can become your desperation? If it's the right circumstances, right, you know. Well, fortunately, we made it through that. 
there are passing moments of desperation. And then there are times of deep desperation. I wonder how many of you know um, who this guy is. You know who this is? His name is Aaron Ralston. In 2003, he's an outdoorsman. In 2003, he was climbing through a narrow slit in a canyon in the Utah desert when he suddenly fell and his right arm became pinned under an 800-pound boulder. And for 127 hours, Aaron lie there with his arm pinned under a boulder. Uh, his water bottle was empty. And after five days, it seemed as though rescue was impossible. He was dying. And in that desperate moment, he had to make an impossible choice. He pulled his pocket knife out and he cut off part of his right arm. It was pinned. There was a movie made about it. You might have seen it. And he cut uh, part of his arm off so he could free himself. He rappelled 60 feet down to the canyon floor. He hiked out five miles before he met a rescue team who got him, he was dehydrated, he was drained, and he was desperate to survive. Amputating your own arm is a level of desperation that most of us have never felt. I, I was in, interested to see the cover of his audio book. Uh, look at this, Between a Rock and a Hard Place. <laughs> that's pretty clever, isn't it? And that's an understatement. Between a rock and a hard place. It's been said that desperation is the father of invention. Well, once when Jesus was on his way to heal a man's daughter, he got pressed into a crowd of people who wanted to see him. And in the middle of the crowd, he met a woman who was desperate. I want to read from uh, Mark chapter 5 today, verse 24. I want to read about this story of this uh, woman who was desperate that Jesus met. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors, and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. Now this is a little artist's rendering of what she might have looked like. Isn't this an interesting picture? This woman behind Jesus who's just kind of touching his cloak. Now this woman is very desperate because she is very, very sick. Her body is filled with pain. She has an embarrassing condition. She's had it for 12 years. She's probably anemic from the blood loss, and no doubt her immune system is worn down, which probably opened her up to all kind of other sicknesses. She'd been to many doctors. I don't know what her copay was, but the Bible says that she was broke, so you know it's probably going up too. Uh, and she had spent all she had. Uh, so on top of all these other problems, she's now in poverty. Now, how many of you would admit? that you've tried some really silly home remedy to cure something, an illness or something. Come on, come on. And the rest of you are lying. How many of you, would it, right, you've tried it? I remember uh, for a while in our house, um, we battled with migraines. And so somewhere, I don't know where, you, you never know where these things come from. We got this, somebody said or we read, if you take a banana pill and you lay it across your forehead where the migraine is, that it will go away. It'll just go away. Well, let me go ahead and save you some trouble. <laughs> it will not go away. 
What you will have on top of your migraine is banana mash on your forehead and a wilty old, you know, peeling. Uh, just eat the banana and throw it away. Trust me on that. But, but I thought I might look a few of these up, and maybe you've heard of these. Apparently, dirty socks tied around one's neck cures sore throat. You didn't, you didn't know this? Hey, and there's a side benefit. It will also keep everybody else away so nobody else gets it. See, it's like a two-for-one cure. Chewing tobacco is supposed to cure earaches. You just stuff it in your ear. I don't know if you spit it out. I don't know how that works. Chocolate-dipped garlic cloves. You think this is some kind of a cure for a vampire who likes dessert. So apparently cures memory loss. So you've been wondering why you can't remember things. Chocolate-dipped garlic cloves. Of course. And in North Carolina, apparently the cure for back pain, which throughout our lifetimes, most of us experience some level of back pain at some point, so this would be incredible. This is worth you coming today just to find out this cure. In North Carolina, if you have back pain, you lay down outside on your back and you wait to hear the call of the whippoorwill. <laughs> and when you hear the call of the whippoorwill, you roll over three times. Magic. It's gone. You're cured. Don't you feel foolish for wasting all that time suffering and chronic back pain when all you need is a whippoorwill? Well, I wanted to share those so that you wouldn't think that maybe the cures that were given to this lady were all that outlandish because we have some pretty crazy ones ourselves. In this woman's culture, there were two common cures for, for what ailed her. Number one, the carrying of ashes of an ostrich egg in a linen rag around your neck. Now, I know some of you ladies are fashionable, but I'd like to see you pull that off, make that look good. The other cure, though, is even a little worse, and it's the carrying of corn from the dung of a white female donkey. It's also a great way to make friends. How many of you know the only thing worse than being sick is being sick and wasting your time on worthless cures? And that's where this lady was. She was no doubt discouraged, broke, worn out, tired of trying stuff. And I didn't even give you the other part. On top of all this, her religion and culture says she's unclean until seven days after she stops bleeding. She hasn't stopped bleeding for 12 years. So she's never clean, which means by law, she has to isolate herself and not have contact with people around her. She's forbidden to worship at the temple. She hasn't been allowed to go to church for 12 years. She's overwhelmed. Beyond all her suffering, she's an outcast, and the Bible says the condition was getting worse. If you've ever dealt with chronic illness... You know that the temptation is to become defined by it. And oftentimes, people in society will help you out with that. Oh, that's the person with whatever. Isn't it interesting that we don't even know her name? She doesn't have a name. 
that we, that we know of in the Bible. Of course, she has a name. She just wasn't known by her name. She was the woman with the issue of blood. You know, the lady with the condition who lives around the corner, fourth house down on the left. You know her. What's her name? I don't know her name. But I know what her sickness is. In difficult times, we're oftentimes defined by our circumstances. For 12 long years, she bore the emotional and psychological baggage of being unclean and untouchable. I just want that amount of time to, to us to soak that amount of time in for a minute this morning. That is 4,383 days, 144 months, 624 weeks, 105,192 hours. This is miserable. No hugs, no kisses, no relationship of any type with her husband if she had one. She couldn't prepare food for her family because she was unclean. She couldn't be a wife. She couldn't be a mom. She had sat in isolation in her house. No church, no worship service, no small group, no ministry, no nothing. For 12 years staring at the wall, she's like a dead person walking. This woman had every reason to want to be healed because her sickness had become the defining reality of her life and it had become the master of her whole life. Now, maybe as some last resort, she comes to Jesus. I mean, what does she have to lose? It can't get worse. Suzanne Collins, who wrote the Hunger Game trilogy, says, If desperate times call for desperate measures, then I'm free to act as desperately as I wish. Now, this morning, I want to give you uh, four thoughts on what do you and I do in times of desperation. What do we do? How, how do people in desperate situations, what happens to them when they see Jesus? So if you're taking notes, here's the first thought. Number one, let your desperation move you toward Jesus, not away from him. Too many times the first place we need to turn is the last place we turn, right? Uh, so, sometimes that's our inclination. We let the pressure drive us away from Jesus instead of toward Him. And we begin to question. And we let the pressure drive us away from church and away from God and away from the Bible and away from our source of strength and help and comfort and encouragement and faith and life. And we begin to question, and if this is going on and God is that, then why is it this happening? And we let it move us the wrong direction. Maybe you've heard this phrase, I guess there's nothing left to do but pray about it. In other words, we're on our last resort. You know what that means? Prayer. What if prayer was our first resort? What if we built every other solution on top of a foundation of prayer? What if we started with prayer and then allowed God to lead us in a discerning way to find what other help there might be. What would it take for prayer to be your first resort? What would it look like for you to start there first? What I love about this woman is she allowed her desperation in that moment to move her toward Jesus, not away from him. Look at verse 27. Let's see how the story continues. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought... Look what she thought. If I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Now, here's what I've always wondered when I read this story. Where did she get that idea? 
I can't find anywhere in the Bible that it's written in the Old Testament, which is all that she would have had, that would have told her, if you ever see Jesus coming through your town, if you'll just go touch his clothes, he'll heal you. I don't see that written anywhere. Where did she get this idea that if she just touched his clothes, that would be enough or it would be close enough? Is she just rolling the dice? Does she have nothing to lose? Now, this, is a, this was a popular notion at her time in her culture that people that God used to heal people, there was a popular notion that if you just touch their clothes, you'll be healed. So she didn't just make it up. It was kind of a cultural understanding, and maybe that's what she was thinking. Also, it was against the law for her to touch anyone else because she was unclean. So maybe she thought, this is a way for me to not technically break the law, but still be close enough to Jesus you know, to get a miracle. I don't know. At best, this is a little bit of superstition mixed with faith. So here's my second point. Believe in God's goodness as much as you believe in his power. Look at the picture again. Look again. Let's look through a little bit different lens this time. Maybe she's thinking, I know that Jesus is powerful, but I'm not sure if he's good. So I'm going to sneak up behind him where no one can see, and I'm going to take a miracle when no one's looking. I'm going to sneak in secretly and get the miracle and then, and then disappear back out in the crowd. When you believe in God's power more than His goodness, it always leads to legalism. That's where Christian fads come from and gimmicks come from. You know, just pray this prayer three times at 3.33 in the morning and, you know, your miracle's going to come. Or use holy water from this magic place somewhere in Europe that... You know, the Protestant Reformation began, or fast this many days, or wear this thing around your neck, or sacrifice a little more, go to this meeting, read this new book about the end times, or go to this evangelistic meeting, or just sneak in and touch his cloak when no one's looking. Sometimes, out of desperation, we try to bargain with God. God, I'll give up drinking if you just heal my mom. God, I'll, I'll do this if you'll do that. God, I'll do what you want if you'll do what I want. As if God has to be talked into doing something good. But what do you do, because I've been on the other end, what do you do when the miracle doesn't come and a person has made some kind of bargain with God like that and their faith is now in shambles and they're saying, I wonder if I've ever heard God speak to me in my whole life now. And they begin to doubt everything. And you try to sweep the pieces back up and say, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. Wait, God hasn't left you. Their faith is right. Then they wonder, you know, have I ever heard from God? And by the way, is God good at all? I mean, I put myself out there. I tried. What else could I do? You can't earn a miracle from God. In this theology, you always need a little more effort. If you haven't seen a miracle yet, it's because you have somehow shortchanged God and if you would fast a little harder or read a little more or take another little step or put a little more effort into it this is a very dangerous way to direct your desperation if I thought for one minute that my family's healing was just one more meeting away or one more trinket away I would sell my house fly to Israel and drink from the well of David directly if I thought that's what it would take. 
But we don't have to make deals with God. You know why you don't have to make deals with God? Because he already made the best deal that will ever be made when he died on the cross for your sin and your sickness. He died on the cross and the gift of grace is freely given. We don't have to wrestle something away from God. We don't have to make deals. So don't believe in cloaks or robes or grilled cheese sandwiches that look like Jesus. Don't become so desperate to see God's power that you forget God's goodness. Some of you know the story, and you may be saying, but wait, time out. Wasn't she healed? I mean, let's don't overlook that fact. Didn't it work? Well, let's see, verse 29. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Yes, the answer to the question is, it did work. She was healed, which brings me to my third point. Your faith doesn't have to be perfect to touch God's heart. Thank God. Her faith seemed to be mixed with some kind of superstition about touching his clothes. She believed in his power, but not his goodness. In other words, her faith wasn't perfect yet. That encourages me immensely, because I don't know that there's ever been a day in my life that my faith was perfect. I don't know that it ever has. And I'm so glad it doesn't have to be. Just believe God as you are with the faith you have. You don't have to wait till you get everything worked out just right. Just come to Jesus with the faith you have the way you are. We're tempted to say, isn't that the moment? You know, this whole series is about what happens when a person really sees Jesus. We saw what happened when a hopeless person saw Jesus, when a, a seeker saw Jesus. And we're tempted to say, isn't this her moment? I mean, after all, he healed her. Isn't that the moment when she really sees him? He is a healer, but that's not the end of the story. I don't think this is the moment when she really saw the real Jesus for everything he is. Let's look at the rest of the story, verse 30. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. You're not going to steal a miracle from Jesus. <laughs> Uh-oh. What are we going to do now? He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? <laughs> the disciples were like, Okay, God. We're trying to be nice about this. Are you insane? We are like at a rock concert mosh pit. Who didn't touch you? Everybody around here touched you. What do you mean who touched you? That's basically, I'm paraphrasing. Verse 32. But Jesus kept looking around to see he's unmoved by all of this yakking of the disciples. It doesn't matter. It's unmoved. Not thrown off at all. Still looking. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her. In other words... Everybody knows me. Everybody knows my condition. I'm not going to be able to hide this. I might as well just come on out with it. So she, she comes out with it. Look at this. She came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, and told him the whole truth. A couple of things I notice here that are encouraging to me. Number one, you've probably heard it said, um, you know, there are no secret sins. I agree with that. There's not a sin that you and I will ever commit that Jesus doesn't see and know. 
There are no, be sure your sins will find you out. I completely agree. But isn't it comforting? Is it comforting to anybody other than me that your secret faith Jesus also knows? No act of secret faith is ever hidden from God. Be sure your faith will find you out. She had secret faith, but Jesus still knew about it. Here's the other thing. She is physically trembling in fear. She is shivering. Her skin is moving. She has thrown herself at his feet in mercy, thinking, I've broken the law. I've touched a person I shouldn't touch. He caught me, and she's absolutely trembling in fear. And she believes in his power. That's why she's afraid. Because she's afraid of his power. She wanted his power, now she's afraid of it. But she doesn't believe in his goodness. Because it worked. She stole a miracle, but now Jesus caught her. So why is he looking for her? Is he mad at her? Is he going to punish her? Is he going to embarrass her? Is he going to take the healing back away from her? She's only had it five minutes. Verse 34. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Here it is. Here it is. Here's the whole thing. Here's the whole thought for today. This this moves me phenomenally. There's only one place. There's only one time. There's only one woman in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John where Jesus ever calls them by the title daughter and it's her he looks at this desperate woman and he says daughter because he wants a relationship with her he doesn't just want to heal her body he wants to heal her soul Jesus was not content to heal a stranger and just move on to the next town he wants to know her And then he says, go in peace. This language is um, loaded. It might not be obvious to us because peace, we think of peace either as a lack of conflict or we think about it on a certain level. Let me tell you what this phrase, go in peace, means. It means the wholeness of life that comes from being brought into a right relationship with Jesus. So here's the powerful thing. Maybe we don't have all the exchange. Maybe we don't know everything that happened. I don't know. But I know by Jesus' profession over her, this woman has not just had her body changed. She's had her soul changed. And she's come into a relationship with Jesus. (laughs) And, and, And here's what's incredible. Now, now, not before, now is when she sees the real Jesus. She gets a blinding revelation of him. He's not someone you have to try to sneak up on and steal a miracle from. You don't have to try to work some gimmick. You don't have to try to earn it. You don't have to try to manipulate. Your faith doesn't even have to be perfect. He's communicating to her in the strongest possible language. I love you. You are my daughter. You are in relationship with me. And I want your body, mind, soul, and spirit to be well. And this is what it means to see Jesus. You're seeing the person that is not only powerful, but he is also very, very good. And all of the shame... 
and all of the rejection and all of the sickness and all of the sin just fall off this lady. Wouldn't you love to have met her after that? Wouldn't that be incredible to hear her tell the story about, I thought he was going to throw me in jail. I thought he was going to yell at me. I thought he was going to curse at me. I thought he was going to reject me. And he looked me in the eye and called me daughter. Would you not have loved to have met her right after that moment? All her fears had been washed away. Here's the last thought. What do you do when you are in a desperate situation? During times of desperation, take a small step toward Jesus. I don't see how she could have done anything less and actually took a step. Like the only thing I know less she could have done is maybe, you know, stood by the side and just watched him go by. She tried to sneak in. She didn't even give his attention. She didn't get anybody's attention. She couldn't have done less, I don't think, and done anything. When we're desperate, we're tempted to try to do something desperate to force God's hand or to show God how much we want him to work. God, we're really sincere. Look what we did. We think maybe if I corner God, maybe if I embarrass myself somehow to impress Him, or I live a super holy life or a super sacrificial life, maybe, maybe that'll earn, maybe that'll unlock, maybe that'll open the door for me. And I want to say to you this morning, if you're in a desperate situation or in the future when you're in a desperate situation, give your desperation to God in faith and take a small step toward Him. You don't have to try to work anything up or earn anything or make anything happen. To do all of that is legalism and it is to question God's goodness. When God says, come into the throne of grace with boldness. The veil has been torn. You're not only welcome, you're invited. Come in. Because God is not only powerful, but God is good. Would you stand with me this morning and I want to ask our uh, prayer team, if you'd come. If you would just uh, close your eyes and open your heart. I've ended just a little early today because I wanted to leave time for prayer. With every eye closed, here's what I simply want to do today. I want us to pray. I just want us to pray for every person in the room who has a sickness of some kind or you're in a place where you need a miracle in other words you have a need and you don't see any way that that need could be met other than a miracle or, or maybe you're here and you're just like what I suggested earlier you say you know I have this need but I'm going to do what you suggested today rather than letting my first step be try to figure it out on my own or find the solution on my own. I think I'm going to do what you suggested today and I'm going to let my first step be prayer. And so if that's you, so with every eye closed in the room, I want to ask you this question. If you are sick, no sickness is too small and no sickness is too large. It might be cancer. It might be arthritis. It might be uh, your immune system's weak. It might be a sinus infection. Whatever. But if you're here, would you just lift your hand and let me see it? I have a need in my body. 
Just lift your hand up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, in the balcony. Yeah, all over the room. I'm, I'm battling this sickness. Maybe today you have a need and you say, I want to turn to God first. Maybe today you need a miracle. You say, I want to turn to God first. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start to pray. And as I start to pray, all I want you to do, you don't have to do anything desperate. You don't have to do anything dramatic. Just take a small step of faith toward Jesus. Prayer team, you don't have to do anything dramatic. You just bring the faith that you have. And those who are sick are going to bring the faith that they have. And we're going to bring our faith to Jesus, who is good and who is powerful. So as I begin to pray, I want you to come right now and find someone on the prayer team and just let them pray for you. Lord, I thank you today that you are all powerful and you are all good. Lord, that you have the ability to heal, to change, to strengthen, to do a miracle, to supernaturally intervene into a situation, to change lives, to change circumstances. And I thank you that the God of grace reigns in this place this morning. I thank you that you want to forward your kingdom today. You want to extend your kingdom. You want to extend grace over our lives today that we might know the power of God and we might know the goodness of God. Lord, I pray that you would fill this place this morning with your presence. And I ask you that your power would be present here to heal and to forgive and to set free. God, I pray you would break bondages. I pray you would break addictions. Lord, I pray that you would uh, break uh, wrong connections. Lord, I pray that you would bring forgiveness. I pray that you'd heal and mend relationships. Lord, I pray that you would uh, break the bondage of sickness and disease of every kind. Lord, I pray that you would heal in every way, mind, body, and soul. That today, as we leave this place, we would truly go in peace. As the worship team begins to lead, would you just begin to sing this song? Sing the name of Jesus. Just begin to sing the name of Jesus again. Come on, worship team and lead us.